where you're looking at step one is your diagnosis and treatment plan. That's the biggest step ever. Mm-hmm. The second step would be your anterior reconstruction and third step is posterior reconstruction. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Happy New Year, 2022, Patrice Rati. Welcome back to your favorite dental podcast. I really appreciate you coming back. And if you're a new listener, welcome to this podcast. I hope you gain lots of value from it. And today's episode is part of a three series. So this first part is about full mouth rehabilitation, adhesive dentistry, so an adhesive rehab, i.e. using some sort of composite resin, either direct or indirect, and how to transfer that from the wax up to the mouth. So we're gonna break it up into three different episodes with Dr. Deb Patel, who came on before and he talked about private dentistry versus uh, public dentistry and how we can be comprehensive in public dentistry. So in today's episode, we're looking at the mindset of the clinician who's doing full mouth rehab because we can't just dive in talking about how to do these beautiful wax ups and how to do all the big composites and indirect work as well, which we mentioned. That comes in episode three, actually. But we need to first start off on the right foot and we need to know why you want to get involved with full mouth dentistry, what the mindset of the clinician is, how to diagnose how to communicate, what to say and how to say it at your treatment plan presentation appointment to be able to then lead you with the correct patient with the correct diagnosis to treat that patient in a full mouth manner. This series is titled 11 Steps of Adhesive for Mouth Rehabs. And so really, this episode looks at appointment zero, i.e. your mindset, you as a dentist, and appointment one, uh, and also when you bring the patient back and you speak to them. So those are the first couple appointments. The second part of the series coming probably in about four weeks time when we record is gonna be appointments two to five. So this is when you actually do your mounting, uh, your wax up, your transferring of the wax up to the mouth, and you're assessing the, the phonetics and the aesthetics, and you send them home to test drive. And then the final part gets into the really meaty bits, okay? But I think it's, it's good for you to listen to these foundational parts, one and two, before you come to that one, which will be in around about six or seven weeks. And what we're looking at at the final one is appointment six to 11. Now, the final few appointments are about splint provision, and we don't go too much into that. So really, we're looking at appointments six to about nine, which is how to now bond your composite. What are the different ways to transfer the wax up to the mouth? Uh, Do you do anteriors first? Do you do posteriors first? Do you do left first, right first? We cover all of those things in really great detail. I know you're absolutely in for a treat and I know you're gonna really gain a lot of value from this. So I'm excited for for both of us. I enjoyed so much, I learned so much and I know you will too. Before we join Deb, I wanna give you the protrusive dental pearl for today. It's kind of like a a wishy-washy one. Yeah, we need these now and again. It is looking at the new year, okay? It's the new year, it's January, it's 2022. What can we do that can really make a big impact next year so that we reflect at the end of the year and we look back and we think, wow, you know, that was a, a really good year. So uh, my friend, colleague and mentor, Michael Melkers, uh, we are admins on the Ripe Global Facebook group. So if you're not part of Ripe Global, please uh, search it up on Facebook. Uh, it's where a community of dentists post up their full protocol cases. Like you'll learn so much by watching these full protocol cases. Uh, and uh, this is a great community of dentists who are just hungry for knowledge and hungry to learn and hungry to share. So in this group recently, Michael posted a photo of a jar of post-it notes and he suggested that every day okay in 2022 every day we should write down one good thing that happened that day and write it on a post-it note fold it and put it in the jar by the end of the year you're gonna have 365 post-it notes of all the good things that happened that year and so on 31st of December you're gonna open that jar and just read it okay and I I love that so I'm going all in I'm doing it uh, and I hope you do too so that's my protrusive pearl why don't you get involved and it doesn't matter if it's March by the time you discover this podcast and you're listening to this start now start now get perfect later it's always been the motto so um, I hope you enjoy that little pearl hope some of you will act on it and start uh, making these post-it notes of positivity to reflect back on at the end of the year now with this episode and, and the future episodes if Dev or any of the guests share something like a PDF or a link, it's always going to be on the blog on protrusive.co.uk or whichever podcast player you're using. If you scroll down, something like Google, Apple, you should be able to see the links, uh, but you can always check back on the main blog. Let's now catch Dev Patel. Dev Patel, welcome back, my friend, to the Protrusive Podcast. How are you? I am very well. Thank you, Jess. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, We we spoke... uh, 
Uh, Aman, you're a very welcome guest. We had you already talking about the complexities of, of NHS gentry and how to communicate better. How can we better communicators in that regard? And NHS versus private, we covered a lot of those themes. Uh, we're going to go a little bit more clinical now, so which is why I'm, you know, the, the crux of this um, podcast. And we're going for, we're really going for the kill here because this theme that we're going to explore today over, I think will be a two, maybe even three part uh, episode is full mouth rehabs. Uh, and this is really the crux of occlusion for me. So the reason why I got more and more into occlusion is because I got to a point where I thought, hang on a minute, I need to treat more than one tooth here. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, I need to treat six teeth here, eight teeth here. And I'm, and then the, the biggest barrier or biggest issue that I, I had was, how do I make it fit? Hence why I went on all these courses to learn, okay, how to make it fit and how to make it last. And for me, occlusion just sums up in terms of how can we do a full mouth rehab? How can we plan a full mouth rehab and expect it to last uh, over a long period of time? Now, I know, Dev, with the, uh, how much uh, experience you have and the kind of case you post that uh, you have got so many more full mouth rehabs under your belt than I have, which is why I'm so excited to learn from you. But I'm also hoping to break it down for all the producers listening. Um, and I love the way that you, we've had some emails, we've had a bit of a chat so far about how we're going to break it down appointment by appointment. And you told me that there's roughly around about 11 appointments or so. And obviously that, that varies. But for those people who haven't listened to our previous episode together, just tell us, give us a little bit of flavor about you, the type of dentistry that you love. Uh, and then we'll build from there and we'll start talking about appointment by appointment on the road to full mouth rehabs. Cool. So let me start with my journey so, so far. So I was... General, I started as a being general dentist, as as you know, as everyone do, and um, I've worked in NHS dentistry for six years, and I wanted to sort of up my skill. During that time, I did a lot of restorative courses. Well, I found that um, I wanted to do complex cases, and I could not do it because, although I had knowledge, I didn't have guts basically. So I want someone to really mentor me, someone <laughs> to supervise me. Because, you know, that first case is always very, very difficult. And, you know, you don't know 100 nuances. You don't know what to do. So that's why I joined the master's MSc in cons program at Eastman Dental Hospital. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a fun year full-time program where you do lots of full monthly construction, but you also do your own lab work. Um, I didn't, I mean, I, I was aware of it, but it's quite labor intensive. So I, was, I used to be there 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. every day, seven days a week. Um, I managed to place a lot of impact. H hence why this is called the divorce course. Remember, so those of you who don't know, uh, when I was considering, I was considering doing it, but then people told me it's a divorce course. So that's the reason I never did it. <laughs> but fortunately, my wife was very, very supportive. So, you know, we, we, we still, we're still together. <laughs> and um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I managed to do a lot of full mouth reconstructions and a lot of implants. But mainly someone was sitting next to me while I was doing bigger sort of uh, bigger stages, you know, as it was. So if I'm doing full mouth reconstruction and doing anterior posterior reconstruction, someone sort of a consultant was nursing with me. So, you know, he was picking all the small things. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence. So once I finished that, I then started practicing. And the biggest hurdle was communication. And we will touch on that, to be honest, because it's one of the, the biggest thing, because as a dentist, we love to learn skills, you know, the hand skills. But it's the communication skill which will start your car going as if so you may have Ferrari, but if you don't have fuel, you won't go anywhere. So communication is kind of your fuel so to drive your car. So I, I learned a lot about communication and I'm still learning, you know, still I'm, I'm in infancy, I, I believe. Um, so started doing communication and then, so I was quite confident in full mouth reconstruction. The next step was to improve my surgical skills. So again, being me, I mean, I quite scared of doing anything. So I had a mentor, which was Ford Khoury. I don't know if you know him. He is the king of autogenous bone grafting. Khoury plates, the, the, the chap who made the Khoury plates. Yeah. Yeah. The professor yeah, okay. was mentoring me when I was doing surgery. So I really um, wow. on that skill. I learned from sort of John West, who is the inventor of ProTaper files. So I went to San Francisco, learned the pro sort of how to do read root canal, root canal treatment from him, been to numerous courses, basically. So invested a lot of money and time and effort into doing sort of all the, all the skills. Um, meanwhile, I was also teaching. So I've been teaching occlusion and full mouth reconstruction since 10 years now. And what I've realized that uh, I actually, the, I started, it started, I mean, I've been teaching, but one of the VT who desperately needed a post and I was in Devon working and there was no one providing sort of VT training for her. So 
So I said, okay, I'll become your VT trainer. And just because we have an international audience, uh, Dev, I'm just going to just break it down. VT, for those uh, in the US, Australia, wherever, is someone who's just uh, like a year out of dental school in the UK and then uh, vocational training or dental foundation training. It's like the, a stepping stone to practice. Uh, it's like a residency kind of, but in, in, in general practice. Yeah, so you need someone to obviously mentor you for that residency, what the, that sort of a one year. And um, so no one was available. So I said, okay, you know what, I'll help her because she she, she was very genuine. She was hardworking. So I started teaching her, but not just for during basic dentistry. I was I was training her for full master reconstructions, implants, placements, everything. And within two years, she started doing full master reconstruction, placement of implants, everything, full shebang. And uh, wow. I, all wow. of a sudden, I started realizing, you know, the impact I can have on a wider population. And that's when I sort of started putting more effort into online courses, which is occlusion to oral rehabilitation, where I would go through, you know, so from occlusion to full mouth reconstruction. And yeah, so I've been teaching now and I love it. love it because by teaching, I can have a more impact. You know, you can have a, you can have more patient treated, a better quality treatment. And um, I personally feel that there's huge underdiagnosis going on, you know, there are, because dentists don't have confidence in treating. And I just want to share my experience and show every dentist, hopefully, that it's not really rocket science. If I can learn it, anyone can learn it. And uh, yeah, just just start their journey in full mouth reconstruction, really. Well, I think what you gave to that um, uh, dental foundation uh, trainee, that uh, that young dentist, is you gave... Um, direction, you gave knowledge, but you gave confidence. Uh, the same confidence that you craved when you wanted to uh, do rehabs yourself or the, uh, up your level in surgery. I think the the, the nowadays with um, education being so widely available, mentorships being so widely available, that this really is the rocket fuel for young dentists to be able to do the kind of cases uh, sooner and to a higher standard than ever before. So um, that, that is a, a you know, great story. And I, I, love the, the, your, I love your why as to why you do this. So that's amazing. So let's, um, let's take everyone on a journey, Dev, of full mouth rehab. Uh, and we very nicely broken it down into uh, 11 appointments. Okay. So um, Dev, we were, we were, we were emailing uh, some ideas is about how to structure this mammoth topic of full mouth rehabs. So let's just give everyone a bit of a background before we get to that. But you, you told me that um, you typically would see someone for 11 appointments. That's a typical. Now, obviously, that could be 20, that could be eight, whatever, right? Like, you know, there's small little nuances in there. But uh, in terms of the big, uh, big sort of themes of appointments, there's about 11 stages. And I think that that lends itself really well to make a nice podcast episode about the different stages, the different nuances of a full mouth rehab from the planning and even before the planning I like how you labeled appointment zero as the mindset of the dentist so you know not every dentist um, should be or, or wants to do this kind of dentistry and I think that's what you're going to allude to like you know is this your your type of gig or not and then we can work to appointment one and then we talk about the mock-up and then the, the planning and the prep stages and then the bit where I get very excited and I'm still I'm still learning more is that how to go from temporaries to definitives in a predictable way that itself can be a, a real challenge in working with a lab and whatnot so I'll be just throwing little curveballs at you and little uh, questions thinking out loud and stuff and, I, and I'm through that way just like many of the other episodes I hope to give lots of value to the Petrucerati so should we start uh, on appointment zero Zero, uh, the mindset of the dentist doing a full mouth rehab. Yeah, so uh, I always say that whatever you start, you need to start with why. You need to start why you're doing, you want to do full mouth reconstruction because as you quite rightly said, full mouth reconstruction is not for everyone because it's more involved than just a single restoration because patient can come in, just on a single filling, patient's gone, done. Whereas full mouth reconstruction, you're going to see that same patient again and again and there are a lot of involved, especially when you're doing first or second case, you know, there are a lot of things involved. So first of all, you need to really, really, really know why you're doing or why you want to do full mouth reconstruction. Now, if, if financial is your f reason, then I personally feel it's not a big enough reason for you to keep going because you will hit a road where you'll get frustrated and, you know, you, you, you might have problem, complication, failures. And you might just think, you know what, I don't, because financially, it to me, it doesn't make sense in the sense that, yes, you, you know, there is this financial aspect of it. But purely, if you look at financially aspect, then you can just do general dentistry, good general dentistry, and you will be fine. Because if you think about That's it, full mouth reconstruction is nothing but multiple single restorations, right? Uh, coming in together in harmony because of occlusion. 
So the only difference between single restoration, like 28 single restoration, or full moth reconstruction is occlusion, really, how they're coming together. And all this facade is to make sure they come together fine, okay, for that patient. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do. You want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later. You can get all of that for less than 15 tax deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this, the Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Not even one original. They come together fine and they last as long as possible because I, I, I agree with you, Dev. I, I find that when I was venturing into bigger cases and full mouth rehab stuff, I found the um, aesthetic planning actually quite simple. You know, when you li listen to like people like Frank Spear and uh, the, the textbooks out there on, on aesthetics and you decided about the upper central incisors and then you work your way around and you level everything and uh, planning the aesthetics. I, I didn't find that uh, complicated. Is then how to make it fit together in harmony of the patient's skeletal pattern and in a way that the, the future excursions and the future function will be respected and to get the most longevity possible, that is where the tricky bit comes in. But that's all in the planning stages. Then when you actually get to cut the teeth, you realize, hang on a minute, I'm just, instead of doing one crown prep, I'm just doing lots at the same time or whatever, or adhesive rehabs. And then you find that actually you can do it quite quickly. So uh, it's all, the, all the hard work goes in front loaded at the beginning, wouldn't you say? And to be honest, for everything, so um, if I'm doing full arch implant reconstruction, so if I'm doing upper and lower full arch implant reconstruction, the planning is, it takes much, much, much longer. And then once you, once you plan everything, then everything's like a really smooth sail. But if I have any problems, and I've had problems, uh, at the end of the treatment, it's always because my planning wasn't great in the beginning. So, you know, I can always pinpoint, I would say 80%, almost 90% of the problem to my planning uh, whenever I have had any problems. So I just take a long time in planning to make sure that, you know, I know I'm controlling known known factors, you know, which you don't, what you don't know, you don't know, you know, but at least what you know, you're controlling it. Well, we're going to cover that uh, in, in, in a few appointments time. Um, but like you said, the, the mindset is important, but I also want to just add in about, and I'm, you may you're probably going to cover this anyway when it comes to communication aspect is uh, it's the mindset of the dentist, but it's also, choosing the right patient because it's a bit like you know what the orthodontists say to patients or what you you probably say to your implant patients like it is a marriage between you and the patient you have to pick who you want to marry as a patient and, and who you don't want to marry and it's completely okay you know even though the case looks like perfectly set up and you can visualize the end result and the patient's got you know the money in the bank and they want to start but you get this funny feeling in your stomach that this patient is trouble and there's red flags uh, and then you don't want to treat it that's probably the best thing you'll ever do not treating that patient 100 and i'll go through that actually a little bit more in detail later on uh, when i'm covering the treatment planning aspect uh, funnily enough. So we'll, we'll go through that 100%. So with regards to the mindset, you need to understand why uh, you want to do full mouth reconstruction. I, the reason I want to do is I want to help patients because after doing full mouth reconstruction, the smile you see, the, the relationship you develop uh, is completely different than you treated someone with a single restoration because you just changed their whole persona. And by teaching, obviously, I'm then spreading the love to many more patients. And that was one, that's one of the reasons. The other thing is you need to have a positive attitude because if you are concentrating in this litigious society about the complaints, about the problems you're going to have, about the failures you're going to have, then you will never start because initially you will have more problems statistically because, you know, you're starting, you're learning, you know, we are all practicing per se. So you, you are starting. So, you know, you will have more problems and that's where the direct mentoring comes through and that's why the learning comes through however learning is nothing without action so you can learn and learn and learn and learn but if you don't take any action then it's not, you're not going to get anywhere the third thing is it's all about the implementation 100 percent, 100 percent. and the the third thing is we all we all have limiting beliefs and i i personally do have as well and i'm trying to break some of my limiting beliefs but most of 
us, we think we are not good enough. You know, and, and people who think we are not good enough, they are actually the good people. They're the good dentists. They think they're not good mm-hmm. enough. Does that make sense? The people who are rubbish, they just, just crack on most of the time. So so it's the people who are good, they just think you're not good enough. So you need someone to tell you, uh, critique your work and then just improve and improve and improve. And that that where you will help. The other thing I get a lot that, you know what, uh, my patients are not right type of patients. And I, I get that a lot from dentists or that I, I live in an area where there, there is no uptake, you know, no one will uptake that. I mean, I have worked all over UK in almost 11 practices and I've proven everyone wrong and they are different. None of them was highly influenced practice, like the, none of them were like a high five practices. So people need treatment, especially actually if you think about it, the lower socioeconomical area, that's where the needs are more because you know, people come to you in a desperate situation and when you're a desperate situation, you would do anything. Um, so, and also they haven't had... Been- this, this is a, re- a recurring theme there, by the way. I just want to say, this is not just you telling me this on the other podcast, but other people have told me that um, they started these cosmetic clinics in these extremely deprived areas. Like, for example, uh, Biju Krishnan, when he was starting out doing lots of CFAS uh, up in Scotland, in this uh, in this dodgy part of Scotland, and uh, they became this huge provider of cosmetic dentistry, uh, busier than any other clinic, uh, doing lots of um, uh, short-term ortho or whatever, in an area where you would have thought, I never want to buy a practice there. And it's a theme that you hear again and again and again, and it all boils down to uh, communication and your limiting beliefs, just like you said, rather than uh, just accepting that, oh, my patients won't take it. If you, if you accept in your mind that my patients aren't there, they won't be there. Well, I, the way I think it is that I just remove, if there are many patients who come to me now because I'm doing a consultation and someone would have referred me, they'll come to me, sit in their chair and they'll say, look, you know what? I can't afford what you're offering me. So well, that's fine. You paid for consultation. I'm going to give you one, okay? And then you decide what you want. At least you paid for this. Let me do my job. And then, you know, I just get, from, I don't even think that they can or cannot afford. My job is really to tell them what they need. And then it will be their decision mm-hmm. whether they want to have this done. Now, if I've done my job properly to show them the value, I'm sure they will have something done because the reason they are usually to see me is because something's not working, they're broken teeth and, you know, quite worn down teeth, which a general dental practitioner cannot, you know, uh, treat. The last thing uh, in the mindset is investment. You need to have a mindset of investor because you do need to make sure that you invest in courses which are right for you. But also I've seen many times, I've seen a dentist not doing Invisalign because the principal would not invest into IPR strips. Now I'm thinking, okay, you've done the course, mm. just buy the strips, you know, buy the strip, it's fine. Just, you know, I understand th- there might be a reason why this is happening, but I just buy, you know, if, if, if I feel that this is something out of normal general dentistry, I used to just buy it because it will pay me 10 times more when I'm started doing cases, you know, the, so, but many times then it, it is sometimes they feel that it's quite unethical to buy the yourself while you're working for the practitioner, you know, your, your boss and you're making money for him as well as you. So, you know, but, but I think you just need to be a bigger person sometime and just, just, just get what you need to get you going. Dev, I, I love that advice so much. I just want to just add to that. I was doing an ortho diploma uh, and it was like a 20K diploma over two years, right? Uh, and one of the guys, I'm not going to name him, one of the guys messaged me saying, uh, Jazz, like, how are you doing this with your, with your principal? Because uh, my principal is refusing, me, uh, refusing to buy me the brackets and the wires. And I'm like, oh my God, you're, you're, you know, the, patient's, the, patient, the patient's ready to pay you four grand or whatever, okay? Uh, your total investment in education is 20 grand and you're disputing over 250 pounds worth of, uh, to, to get you going. And I'm like, there's a mindset issue here. So yes, in, in an ideal world, your principal should be buying it. And that's how what the license fee comes in. But once, sometimes, just like you said, Dev, sometimes when you buy the stuff yourself and then you produce the results and then you put that piece of paper on, the, on, on your principal's desk saying, hey, by the way, I did this case and that was my investment. Are you, if you like this work, I can do more of this for you, but this is what I need. And that point, your, your argument, because in, to, to put myself in the principal's shoes, you, you probably asked for 10 other things in the past, you never used them, right? And so the principal, principal is probably a little bit worried about, about pouring more money into this. So you have to sometimes prove it. Yeah, I mean, where I work, I mean, our, my boss is, you know, he's, he's cool. Um, really, really forward thinking. So, you know, I'm in a really fortunate position where I work. 
Um, but you, you're quite correct because who, which principle would not want to have profit? You know, it just doesn't make sense. So, but you do need to sometimes prove. I, I, I many times give um, dentists the example of the the pump. You know, the, what you call the rail pump. The you pump to get the water from the underground coming up. You have to pump the the water mm-hmm. to get the water mm-hmm. out. But that, you have to pump it a lot of time before sure. the water comes through. Does that make sense? So you need to first work mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to show that you get the result. But yeah, so I think in my mind, the mindset is the main, 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 main thing. And many times we don't even, we just don't even look at it as a mindset, as a main factor of full market construction. And that's why I really wanted to put that as appointment zero, because without that, your other appointments will never start. Uh, I love that, Deb. I'm just going to add one more thing uh, in terms of because you, you shared your why and the, the, my why in terms of uh, getting into um, more comprehensive dentistry, more full mouth kind of, and just v- viewing things with a lens of a full mouth rather than just uh, single tooth and moving away from single tooth. But look, there's nothing wrong from single tooth. Some of the uh, most humble dentistry, that dentistry that the public needs is single tooth. But the I, I eventually would get bored. So for, for me, I start to have more fun when I'm thinking of the bigger picture. And then to see those uh, big changes uh, in the denticians and then and then doing work that you can step back and then have a good night's sleep and think wow you know this was a journey this wasn't like a wham bam thank you ma'am this took a year two years of hard work uh, and and the patients are all made up so that's uh, that's our why basically very similar to yours dev but it's about also enjoying and falling falling in love with those little details and the big changes 100 so it's life-changing you're changing someone's life and uh, that's some that's the biggest gift you have so once the once we nail the mindset the, the further appointment, I kind of break down into three steps, and that's why I call it three-step technique, where you're looking at step one is your diagnosis and treatment plan. That's the biggest step ever. Mm-hmm. The second step would be your anterior reconstruction, and third step is posterior reconstruction. Simple three-step. Okay. So let's start with appointment one, where patient's sitting in your chair, and I'm, I've said appointment one because most of us are general dental practitioners, and you will see patients for a checkup. So the appointment one is really a checkup, which is let's say 20 minutes checkup. You're assessing patient's mouth. You probably haven't seen patients, but if you're like me, and you know, after doing MSC, you're seeing the same patients, by seeing them different eyes, you know, your eyes have changed. Mm. So, so, you know, you're seeing mm. the same patients and now, but now you're seeing the wear all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh, this patient needs full mouth reconstruction. I mean, I don't know about you, but how many cases? I mean, I can't count number of cases which is referred to me for single implant, and they need full mouth reconstruction. I mean, I I mean, almost eighty percent of them are like that. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, okay, I mean, I'm not saying eighty percent patients says yes to that. But what I'm trying to say is they in they are in need of some sort of a more comprehensive treatment. Once I've shown them all the photos and everything, I will then tell them what are my concerns because patient would have their own concerns, but I need to let them know that what are my concern to give them maybe a reality check, right? So if they, their expectations is completely out of this world, they need to know that maybe I'm not the person to be able to give them that kind of results, what they want. But usually... Can, can, can you make that tangible? Can you give an example of a clinical scenario, what you mean by that? I'll give you an implant example, actually. So patient comes to me, edentulous jaw, lower, flabby ridge, there's not much bone at all, and they can't afford... Um, fixed prosthesis. So I'm doing two implants and a locator-based uh, denture, but they don't want denture to move at all, and they want it to be completely fixed, and they don't want to be really, really, you know, bite completely without any, uh, you know, worrying about denture moving. So I have to tell them that look, for what you want, I cannot give you a fixed teeth. You know, the denture will have some mobility in it. So they need to they need to mm-hmm. understand. Same thing with patient who has, let's say, really high lip line and sh- nice teeth and showing like f- four millimeter gum, right? So, and then if they want the incisor ledge showing just maybe two millimeter, I'm giving you example, right, quite extreme, but just the incisor ledge mm-hmm. showing like two, three millimeter, they want to reduce all the gum. Maybe we can do lip repositioning to make it that or a little bit crown lengthening. But, you know, if you, they're showing four, five millimeter uh, of the gum, after showing that 10 millimeter length of the incisor, it would be quite difficult to then correct it 
you know, so you need to tell them. The other example is if there is implants attached and, you know, you need to tell them that there will be some recession. I mean, I will do my best to do soft tissue grafting and make sure that, you know, gum stays where it is. But there is a good chance that the gum will recede a little bit, you know. So so, so this is the time where and the, the more experience I get, the more I'm scaring the patient, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling them from up front because <laughs> I don't want to, them to then have all the treatment gone through, especially full mouth reconstruction, and then look at the mirror and think, mm, this is not what I wanted. And then that's the heart sinking mm. moment where, you know, you haven't really educated patient enough or you haven't listened to them properly. You should, everyone should do what I do and just um, only treat people with their low lip lines. <laughs> yeah or make them low so when you're taking photo just don't smile too much <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the secret that's the secret you're giving away as long as the photos fine you know <laughs> Jazz, it's all about the photos <laughs> so um and then and then i will i will show them if if they don't have anything done what will happen because they need to know that so you know you would have everyone would have the cases which is really quite a lot of wear but patient never gone ahead with the treatment. You know, you, you told them everything, but you know, it is what it is. Maybe I didn't do my job properly in explaining the value of my treatment. And the patient would say, no, I, I don't want to have the treatment done. Because uh, funnily, I mean, if, if someone tells you that your family is in danger, they need so much amount of money, you will find the money. So it, it really is, mm -hmm. it's really whether you find that good enough for you to be able to invest in yourself, whatever you, you're telling the patient. So, so patients always have resources. It's just that whether they want to use them on their teeth or not. Um, so uh, I think that's a great point. I just want to elaborate on that, Dev, because uh, Stephen Hudson, who uh, used to have a blog and stuff uh, about uh, dental law and ethics and uh, communicating with patients. And I remember him writing a blog post once saying that just because the patient has got £50,000 sitting in their bank account, doesn't mean that they want to treat it, spend it with you on dentistry because the dentistries may be so low in their values overall. Just like you said, everyone would do anything for their family, but um, a lot of patients could have no teeth and they honestly, uh, they have no aesthetic uh, values or uh, aspirations. Uh, they just don't care about their oral health so much. So for them, it's not a £50,000 problem. Uh, whereas what they, may, you know, an ideal world, what they may need or what they would benefit from, uh, it just doesn't sit well with them. So that's again part of discovering what their goals are, discovering what their values are so that we can actually make the right treatment for the right patient but the important thing is values can change so so not just mm. because you mm. had a check discussion with the patients on the last checkup about full mouth reconstruction looked at your notes and you're thinking oh i had a chat with them last time they don't want to they don't want to have anything done i'm not going to even talk to them about this this time then you because things change people i mean my values changed you know the health is now becoming much more priority for me which wasn't five mm -hmm. years ago you know five years ago it was all about you know hustle and work 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 24 7 and improve your skills and now i'm i'm putting more priority on my health. So people's value change all the time. So, you know, just because patients said no last time, six months ago, it doesn't mean that they're the same person. Um, so I think that's something really, really important. Uh, one more thing, actually, is sometimes uh, the, the reason that the values can change is because we've reframed the same problem in a way that speaks their language. So, for example, uh, we know that from a lot of the aesthetic rehabilitations that we might do, it's going to restore their how they look and restore their, their function, how they can chew. Uh, but when you're telling someone that um, we can make your uh, teeth look better, look more youthful, and they're really not listening to you, they, they don't care about that. But when you tell them, actually, if we don't do any treatment, we won't have any tooth structure left. And then you're looking at dentures or then you're going to lose your teeth. Then that same message speaks volumes to a patient. And they're, and they're both true. We can both make them look better and keep their teeth for longer. But which one they resonate with uh, is, is the other one. So you have to pick and choose and speak in their own language, don't you think? 100%. So it, it is, as I said, most of the time when patients say no to the treatment, it's my fault because I haven't really spoke, I haven't spoken their language, if that makes sense. So, you know, I've been telling them what I feel that is good for them, but not in their own language. So I think 90 or 99% of the time, really, it's the dentist's fault if patient says, no, I don't want that treatment. And they really need that treatment if you think that they need treatment. So I show them if they don't do anything, what will happen to their teeth. So, you know, those cases which didn't go ahead, I keep them still as a photograph and I show them that, look, this is, you know, 70-year-old gentleman, 
this is the teeth and you know worn down so much then i show them what is potential what can be done so your previous cases what you've done before i've done before and this is where i see the most conversion happening where when patients come to me uh, I can pretty much do anything now. So I can do, you know, re I can do anything. So I've done re-endos, I've done full ortho, like a conventional ortho, Invisalign. I can do autogenous bone grafting, full arch implants, you know, full mouth reconstructions, everything. So when I'm sitting with them, for me, it's not what, what I can or cannot do. It's really finding that right solution for them. So when I'm discussing the treatment plan with them, I show that confidence. So the, if, if, to me, it wasn't very obvious, but one of the associates while observing me, who did the, the, my full matric construction course, and he wasn't converting, uh, that was like five years ago, and he said, look, can I observe you? And he's like, come on in. And then he, he, he observed me and he's like, you know what, one thing is, when you talk to patient, you're just having a chat with them. In your back of the mind, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt that you can provide them the best treatment, what they need you. It's just literally fitting into what they really want and how you can work around it. And I think that's really, confidence is really important, but that comes after experience. So you, you again, you have to start somewhere. And what I've realized is when I was referring cases out early in my career, I was much more confident because I knew that the person I was referring to was really good. So I knew that the patient would get the best treatment possible. So I was literally telling patient that, you know, you must go that there and see them because you will be good. Because of that, I had a quite high conversion rate, although I didn't get any benefit, financial benefit, but I had a quite high conversion. And I think that same thing shows when now I'm discussing with patients. So the confidence really helps. That's a really good comparison. I like how you made that, that when we're referring to someone that we trust and then we instill confidence in that other practitioner and the patient's more likely to go ahead and, and get what they, you know, something that they need and something they'll benefit from and something that's going to benefit them overall. And then now you're just applying that same logic to yourself that you know you can deliver a good result and you're confident in your diagnosis and management plan and you know that you can give them so much benefit going forward that, that you ooze that confidence and patients definitely pick up on that. Uh, so that's a, a point well made. And so I'm so glad you made it in this part one, because this is the crux of it. You know, if you start doing ortho, you start doing uh, anything, you need to uh, ooze confidence about what you're doing. Even if it's teeth whitening, if you can't convince the patient uh, that teeth whitening is going to help them, it's probably because you haven't probably whitened your teeth ever before yourself uh, and you're trying to tell them something that you don't fully believe in yourself actually uh, so it's those things about showing the patient that actually yeah I, I think this is going to be really good for you and, and believing in it and, and, and the patient picking up on those visual cues so you know what I never had a laser surgery done because every time I went to see an ophthalmologist or someone they all wear glasses and I'm thinking they're wearing glasses why right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have it done <laughs> So, you know, that, that was my thinking anyway. So that's, that's the side. So once, once I've done the assessment, um, I, would, I would then move on to stabilization phase because it's really important to make sure that the dentition is stable before you move on to full mouth reconstruction, even think about it. So when I'm doing the first full assessment, I will tell patient that this is the phase one where I'm going to take the teeth out, which needs to come out to reroute canal treatment, where it needs to reroute canal treatment to, you know, uh, remove all this old amalgam, clean that up, restore it with composite and just a core buildup. And just make sure that when I'm back, I have a nice dentition. Now, if patient has crowns, I would take the crowns out and restore them with the temporary crowns. In the, in the ICP, in their own occlusion, no change of occlusion, just removing out and making sure that the crown's fine before I start doing full-fledged treatment. So first is always stabilization, which is a treatment they really, really need. Even if they're having full mouth reconstruction or not, they really need these things. So I would start with that. So, so before we continue on that, I just want to ask you something uh, about um, phase one and communicating finances uh, as well. So something that we can learn about communicating finances. So when you are communicating phase one and obviously to give the patient the estimate of the phase one treatment, but do you also, because many people do it differently, do you also give them a ballpark figure, okay, a range as to what the future uh, treatment uh, may cost? Or do you think that actually you don't want to scare them away just yet? Because regardless, they need the phase one anyway. So you're going to just 
quote the phase one. And uh, one thing I also said um, is that it's an opportunity for you uh, to, to learn about the patient as well. Are they uh, a good patient or not as you do phase one, which is um, something they need for their health? Yeah. So do you know what? I've tried both ways. So I've tried doing the just doing the phase one and telling patient that, you know, you, you need all this and then we'll look into it once we stabilize your mouth, because this is something you really, really need. Whether you have the phase two or not, that's different, but you need this anyway. Or I've done the other way around as well, where I've told patient that this is phase one and this is potential phase two and this will be the whole phase. And in my experience, I haven't seen any difference. So people who are going to say yes, they will just say yes, regardless, to be honest. Having said that, some patients who, when you break it down, it becomes a little bit more better for them because they can then, they because many patients don't think long term. They will, they think like monthly, how much I can pay, how much, you know, because they are living like that. So, you know, if you break them down, they're, okay, we're going to do phase one. If you tell them, oh, it's going to be 20,000 pounds, then they'll be like, oh, 20,000 pounds now. Whereas if you tell them, okay, you know, we need to do this crown, which is temporary crown, which is 100 pounds. We need to do this core buildup, which is 120. Everything will be two, 3,000 pounds. We'll do that first. And then, you know, move on to the next step and then next step and then. And that helps in just breaking things down. So I usually tend to break down nowadays everything, but then give them full fees as well. Dev, th thanks for sharing that. It's good that you've done it both ways. So you can give us that feedback as to what's worked in your practice, because these are the um, real barriers. There's so many different steps to actually implementing full mouth dentistry. And one of those is having those difficult conversations about fees, which we have covered in, 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 you know, in previously the podcast as well. But as part of the bigger picture, that's one of the different challenges. The actual dentistry is the easy bit, but it's a, the mindset, like you said. It's about finding the right patient. It's about phasing the dentistry. And now we haven't even begun talking about the occlusion bit yet, which, is, which brings me very nicely to, to wrap up part one, is that, okay, I know some great dentists who will plan their rehabs uh, in MIP. Whereas traditional uh, schools of thought and, and many dentists, including myself, I plan for, in most cases uh, from central relation. Uh, what is your school of thought? Uh, knowing you're from Eastman, I, I can guess which, but uh, what is your school of thought and how do you decide between uh, uh, reorganizing versus conforming? There are a lot of, lot of ways you can decide whether you're going to reorganize or conform. For me, when I look at the, look at the mouth, I'm going to assess how many number of teeth I'm going to treat, right? So if you're treating, as you know, one or two teeth, which are nicely bounded with other teeth, then conformative. Now, if you're thinking full mouth reconstruction, for me, if you're doing full mouth reconstruction, you're touching every single tooth. Or at least one arch, right? If you're doing one, at least one arch, then... One arch, then it yeah. does automatically becomes a reorganized approach. Now... There are, there are nuances to that. So let's say conformity approach, the advantage of, of doing conformity, you can even do single arch conformative, right? In your mind, because to be honest, once you dismantle everything, you're kind of changing contact points, you're changing a lot of things. So it depends what you think, what you're defining as a conformity and what you're defining as reorganized. For me, even though you're not raising OVD, it could be reorganized because you're just changing your con patient's contact, the way they change, you're eliminating slide a little bit. So, you know, it just changes. So for me, conformity means you're keeping everything, keeping the slide the way it is, you know, ICP to, to MIP slide. So CO for, for Americans, CO to MIP slide. Um, so you're keeping the same, you're just treating the way it is. And the best way to do that is treat the, the jaw in sections. So you keep, you treat few teeth, and then you treat other few teeth and then treat other few teeth. And the advantage of that is patient kind of knows that kind of bite. So they're used to it. There's less risk of you incorporating something in patient's mouth there, which is completely different than what they had. But the limiting factors are that you don't have much room to be creative and to, to change the teeth, to shape forms and eliminate some of the shall I call it interferences or non-working side contacts if patient has any. So for me, if I'm doing full mouth reconstruction or anterior reconstruction on its own, dial technique or whatever you call it, it is a reorganized approach. Whereas if I am, if patient has one of the, one of the very rarely when I do uh, conformative while I'm doing full mouth reconstruction is 
patient's got TMJ issues and I've given patient Michigan splint and it got worse, right? Because patient just cannot tolerate that open bite and they're just used to that. First of all, I wouldn't touch those patients and do full full shebang, you know, full mouth reconstruction on those patients until the symptoms are gone. But even some symptoms are gone, I'm looking into doing very conformative approach where I'm not changing too much because the risk is you change things and then the patient back to where, where they were and start having issues with TMJ. I mean, that's our concept of uh, working within their adaptive capacity, right? So someone's got very narrow adaptive capacity and deviating, even giving them a removal appliance like a Michigan splint uh, made them uh, in, in a position where they were not able to tolerate it. So you want to copy the features of the system that was working in a painless way for them, even though it may not be the gold standard, but you need to actually conform to their adaptive capacity. So, yeah. So, however, it's not that common and people scare you know, it's, it's quite, you know, dentists get scared a lot, but I will, I'll tell you, I mean, I've done over three, four, 500 full mouth reconstruction. I can remember two patients who are like that where, but, but they were telltale signs, you know, again, again, when we do the assessment, we will know when, when I'm doing treatment planning, I would know how I'm going to plan the treatment and, and we can go, we'll go through with that. But one of the thing is the load testing. If you're doing load test, which means if you're using Lucia Jake, or you're using leaf gauge and patient bites and patient feels pain, that's an indication for me to stop and then rethink, make sure that the pain's gone. Sometimes it's, it's their lateral pterygoids just giving the firing wrong way. And sometimes you put a cotton wool roll, ask patient to bite, the pain goes quite instantaneously. So it could be, but, but usually if that happens, then you need to really reevaluate everything before you, you consider anything. The other thing is when patients got uh, a, a slide which is long horizontal and short vertical. Usually when patient closes their mouth, the study shows over 90% of the patient would touch one tooth first and then slide their jaw forward and upwards and close their teeth. Now that forward and upward movement is not 50-50. Does that make sense? So, so some patient would go more forward and then less upwards, that's called long horizontal, short vertical. And then some patient will go more vertical and short horizontal. Now those patients who go more vertical and short horizontal, they're easy to treat because if you remove that first point of contact, all they're going to do is close their mouth basically more. Does that make sense? Whereas mm -hmm. if you are the long horizontal slide, if you eliminate slide, patient's going to not be able to do that horizontal slide and it will start closing more vertically and then you develop anterior open bite. So if you remove that horizontal slide, which is which patients were doing in order to get their front teeth in contact, if you remove that, they can't move, they don't move moving their jaw forward. So they just move their jaw like that and then they have anterior open bite. Are you sure you mean uh, anterior open bite or do you mean uh, increased overjet? Increase, sorry, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, increase over jet, but then the teeth won't touch, okay? Uh, yes, sometimes, yes. or sometimes their, their teeth start touching on the gum, okay? So now mm, if I mm. want to raise OVD in that case, then all the OVD will be raised on the posteriors because patients lost that anterior guidance of the protrusive guidance from the centrals. We want to keep the protrusive guidance if you follow Eastman mythology, then you want that canine forward. And if, if you want that, then that's impossible if you remove that horizontal slide. So, so that's something very rarely, I, again, I've treated so many and thankfully, God is very great. So he has given us more uh, patients with long vertical and small horizontal than long horizontal and small vertical slides. So most of the patient, over 90% of the patient will fit fine into your normal routine. But there are some patients who you might get caught up by uh, where there is a long horizontal. And those patients I would still treat in CR, but I would not raise their vertical too much because if, if you raise it too much, you end up losing so much, so much space anteriorly. 
because of the overjet you create. I mean, every case will be um, independent and it would work, you know, your workup and your occlusal planning comes into and it's case specific is, is what we're trying to get to. Uh, and that will vary. So there's no one formula for every patient. It depends on where is their centriculation contact point to begin with, what is the extent of their slide, what is their existing malocclusion, what is their skeletal base. So there's so much that goes into planning each case. But essentially, when you're reorganizing a case and you're increasing the OVD, you're beginning from a position of centriculation as per the Eastman School of Thought, uh, and you're building in, you know, your uh, bite from there. Is that f fair to say? Yeah, so it's fair to say. So, so, so my idea is if I can start with CR, which is opening their bite up, even the so, ever so slightly, I will do that because then I have a plain sort of a playing ground where, where I can just change anything what I want. So I'm already increasing already even one millimeter or two millimeter. I have a full access to that space and I can move teeth around restoratively as much as I want and as possibly as I want. Whereas if you are even restoring patients in CO, which is the first point of contact when patient contacts and that one first point of contact, because there are other theories or other principles, they would just restore patient in CO because to avoid this TMJ issue, because if some people would say that if you pay open patient too much, then you might have issues with TMJ because you're, you know, opening their bite up and freeway space, which doesn't really apply to dentition, to be honest. But, um, and I've, I've opened patients up, you know, I don't even, I don't even see how much opening I'm doing. I'm, I'm looking at the aesthetic result. I'm looking at the prosthetic. I'm not looking at, I'm going to open to, let's open this patient by two millimeters. I usually don't think that way. I would think, okay, how much longer I want the teeth, how much prosthetic space I want, and then I'll open patient up. And obviously you do trials and you make sure that the patients can tolerate that. But yes, yeah, so the one, one uh, concept is you open patient up in CR, which is patient non-teeth occluding position. Well, there we have it, guys. I appreciate you listening all the way to the end. I hope that's whet your appetite for part two. So part two of this is coming out in about four weeks or so. We're going to cover appointments two to five then. Uh, and we really go into a lot more depth in terms of diagnosis, uh, mounting, uh, wax ups, how to uh, control your curve of spay, all those really important things. So I'm hoping you're able to follow along. Like if you're a newbie dentist or a dental student, I'm hoping we made it in a way that you can follow along and we're going to build you up in the next part. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and as always, I'd really appreciate if you can share this with a colleague who you think might find it useful and whet their appetite for the future part of these series. Anyway, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end and I'll catch you in the next episode, same time, same place. Yeah.